Okay, and we can get started with our interview today. Um, I want to welcome our um, our sage for today, Madan Gopal Das. Um, and I'm going to um, just read a little bio first and then <clears throat> to introduce him. Um, can you all hear me? My, can you hear me well? Yes. Okay, good. Um, okay, great. Um, Madan Gopal Das had the great luck to meet Krishna devotees in 1990. He moved into an ashram in high school and soon after went traveling with a sadhu doing home programs, college preaching, book distribution, and learning the art of Sankirtan. He was very attracted to chanting, the chanting of Harinam and centered much of his upbringing in Krishna Bhakti around the practice of chanting. <clears throat> Madan Gopal was initiated by a guru in Iskhan in 1996. And shortly thereafter, <clears throat> experienced many trials of faith. In 1997, he married Grungi Priya, and as a couple, they started a preaching center. As, <clears throat> excuse me, as the faith trials continued, and as Krishna arranged, they moved away from Iskhan Sangha in 1999 and experienced a different world of devotee life learning that bhakti can thrive outside of an institutional experience. <clears throat> in 2002, Madan Gopal pursued an education in social work and eventually became a licensed clinical social worker and started working in the field of mental health. In 2004, he met Swami B.V. Triparori again and it was very evident that this meeting and relationship was destined to be the major direction of his life. Since surrendering to Guru Maharaj, Madan Gopal has attempted to offer service in hosting home programs, helping with Didi and ritual seva, traveling to Guru Maharaj's ashrams, and trying to assist in the development of the Sagrahi project in North Carolina. Currently, he regularly hosts Bajan gatherings in his home in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, where he lives happily with Gurungi Priya and their three children under the shelter of their deities, Ram Govinda, Gaur Nichananda, and Giri Raj Govardhan. So welcome, Madan, and um, excited to have you on here today. And um, I wanted to say that I had the, the good fortune of meeting Madan probably about what in 1997, I think, the year you mm -hmm. right after you got married. And I was at a Rathiatra in Washington, DC, and Gurungi Priya came running up. I was actually on the cart, the Rathiatra cart, and she came running up and she said, with this very effulgent young man, and said, I want you to meet my husband. And I was like, 
Grungy was like 18 years old at the time, right? Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, wow, that was quick. <laughs> anyway, it was wonderful to see that she was in good hands after talking to them for just a very short time. I had a, a very amazing impression of Manan Gopal and for good reasons. I have since learned and gotten to know him quite well. And um, I'm very happy that the two of them have been together and they have a beautiful family. So um, to start the interviews, just again, a little recap what we're doing. We're um, talking about the Sadaka's journey and, and comparing it, looking at it, and um, Joseph Campbell's looking at it and comparison, comparing it to Joseph Campbell's hero's journey. And that involves this leaving the ordinary world to, to, um, to do something um, that's much more fulfilling and has a higher purpose in life than just what the material world offers. And so the Sadika journey goes through many of the similar stages. And the stage of initiation is the stage where we take the commitment very seriously. Um, there's a lot of surrender and, um, and perseverance during that stage um, and having to overcome adversities and um, difficulties that will naturally come in a hero's journey. And um, the greatness of a person um, is actually shaped through these experiences. Um, and I, I think um, the example Shil Prabhupada had used was putting a sword into a fire. And every time, you know, just at the point where it's starting to melt, you pull it out of the fire and, and then the metal becomes even stronger. So the fire of ordeal that we are put into each time it gets pulled out, we're stronger. So um, it's really, really helpful to look at our struggles through this lens, because otherwise, we could lose our faith. Um, and I've seen that many times with devotees who haven't had good sangha, good association to help them understand, um, you know, this perspective. So we're going to start with asking you, Madam, um, what was your call? What invited you to come onto the, this adventure of bhakti? And how were you able to disengage and come out of the material world? OK, um, first, I just want to ask, can you hear me OK? Yes, I can. Okay. Okay, uh, I just want to offer obeisances to all the devotees. Um, you're all my family, uh, being connected with Guru Maharaj. I, even if I haven't met you, I know that I have some deep connection with you because we're all connected to the same person, and it's a wonderful uh, family that we're involved in. Um, I also wanted to just give a quick um, darshan of our deities because they are um they've all come to us in different important stages in my life so um here's just a quick darshan 
So these are, um, this is uh, Kanaram Govardhan Shilas that came to us by the blessings of Gumaraj and Karnamrita Prabhu. Um, Shishi Gornatai, Ram Govinda, who were given to us by Gumaraj and these brass Ram Govinda deities who were given to me by, by Gumaraj and Giriraj. And Guru Parampara. Lovely. Thank you for that, Darshan. That was beautiful. So, um, I was looking over your questions and the, um, the reference to the hero's journey, and um, I was thinking of it slightly different. Um, it's definitely a journey. There's the, the Bhakti Marg. It's a path that we're on. Um, but I see it also over, um, this is a, this is only one spot in the journey. This lifetime is, is one spot in a journey for who knows how, how long it's been and how long, how much longer it will go. Um, and my experience um, of coming to the, the Bhakti Marg, um, and I think as Gurmaraj talks about, um, we have Bhakti Samskaras. So um, I would say my experience is, uh, is one of um, renewing and um, coming to the next point um, in my path. Because um, I definitely had some experiences that um, this had been going on before, um, previous to this life. Um, so, um, and, and all along the way also um, uncovering kind of goalposts, realizing um, coming across um, things in my life that I, um, that were evidence of previous samskaras, kind of like river beds in your, in your consciousness that, um, that would again be filled up. That's the track that that you would pursue, that I would pursue again. Um, so I guess um, from the very beginning, I was born in 1973. I'm getting, I'm getting up there. Um, I was born outside of LA. Um, and I always, I always kind of like to think that I was born on Christmas Eve. So Brigupad Prabhu is my older brother by like four days or something. Um, and I always like to think that in LA, um, I believe Gurmaraj was there at that time. And it was the middle of the Christmas marathon. And I always think, I wonder if somehow um, 
my parents or um, someone was at the airport and I somehow was influenced by that, just that environment. Because that was crazy book distribution going on in LA. But anyway, um, so I grew up um, after shortly, I guess like when I was five years old, we moved to Colorado. Um, and I grew up out in the woods in a rural kind of area. Um, I spent tons of time outside. My dad was kind of an outdoorsman. Um, he was a rock climber. Um, he'd take me hiking, um, doing stuff in the mountains. I'd climb trees. We had horses and animals and um, it was a very natural kind of environment. I spent all my time outside. I walked to school. Um, I wasn't into, uh, at the time, like the old gaming systems were coming out. Kids were into like video games and I never, I never really liked that stuff. I just liked being outside. Um, so then maybe I was, I'm not sure, probably 12 or 13 or something. My parents divorced um, and I went to live with my dad in a suburb of Denver. Um, and shortly thereafter, my mother just kind of disappeared. Um, I don't know if it was something about their relationship or what, but she basically, I never had contact with her again. She kind of left the whole family and um, never made contact again. So um, at that time I was, you know, a teenager. I moved to a new uh, place to go to high school and I was pretty introverted as a kid. Um, so I, I was a skateboarder. Um, I was influenced by a lot of alternative, um, alternative culture. Um, I was very involved with animal rights. Um, my, my family, I would say like, my parents were, um, my family was not religious at all. Um, I wouldn't say atheistic, it just like agnostic. It wasn't, it was just nothing. Um, I never went to church. Um, so I didn't have any, any influence of any particular religious path in my life. Um, so While I start, when I started going to this um, high school and I was kind of introverted and I started getting into, um, I had just started playing bass guitar and um, there was a flyer at this skate shop that I went to um, saying that this band needed a bass player. So um, I went and tried out for this band or whatever and um, became a bass player and I um, got into the hardcore punk music scene. Um, 
And I did that for several years. And part of that was, um, I don't know if people are familiar with, um, I don't even understand how much it's around anymore, but there was a counterculture within the counterculture of the punk rock music scene, which was um, Straight Edge. And Straight Edge philosophy, it was kind of like a philosophy um, just about living a clean life, not taking any drugs. Um, many of the people were vegetarians. There was militant vegan hardcore bands. <laughs> um, and I was, I was very involved in that scene. Um, I had a magazine and I used to go around the grocery stores in my local town putting meat is murder stickers on like packages of meat in the grocery store and tested on animals stickers on the body products and <laughs> um, getting in trouble and skating in places and playing, um, playing in my band. And um, music was, music was a, um, a total outlet for me. Um, I had no, I had no experience of um, anything spiritual. Well, I guess I would say I didn't have anything, any experience of anything religious, but um, there was a certain aspect of spirituality to the music um, that we would play. And we were like, sometimes my, my band, we would just do complete improv. Like we would, we'd go into playing a show for people and we'd never rehearsed a song. We would just play kind of what came out of us and sing or scream or moan, <laughs> um, just kind of like expressions of angst, of frustration with the world. Um, so there was a lot of, just the world did not feel right. Um, and there was so much exploitation and um, I came to Krishna consciousness with this, um, just this frustration that the world was not fair. There was no justice, um, that it was a mean place, that there was suffering. Um, and I had this list of causes. Um, there was the exploitation of women, there was war, there was, um, animal rights issues. So um, in 1990, um, in, this, in this scene, I had um, come across um, people who had become devotees. Um, specifically, this was um, Raghunath of Youth of Today, and he had, he had gone to India and um, met a guru and come back and was transforming kind of all his music and all this music that I was into and the philosophy. Um, he was transforming it into all of a sudden there was this element of Eastern spirituality. And it was at the time it was very curious. There was a, a whole bunch of the of that scene who were very anti um, anything religious. Um, 
but I was intrigued by it. And I was in a band with someone who, um, he had grown up in Moundsville, which is the town right outside of New Vrindavan. Um, and in the eighties, he had seen um, all kinds of stuff happening at New Vrindavan and Kirtananda and people driving through in limousines. And he was like, do not touch that. That is a cult. Um, but I was curious um, and in 1990, I went to see, um, to see Shelter came to my town, um, Raghunath's new band, um, and some other people that I knew from that music scene, uh, Bredge Kishore. Um, and I went and saw them in concert and devotees from the Denver Temple came and they were passing out halava um, and little mantra cards, which was an in invitation to the Sunday feast. Um, so I was very inspired by the, um, by the music and the message. And I remember I was standing up front and um, Fred Kishore had on his arm, he had a giant permanent marker. He wrote, I am soul, um, like Aham Brahmasmi. So I was intrigued by that. And shortly after they left, I started, started corresponding with him. Um, I went to the Denver Temple. I just showed up. I um, I can't remember why I didn't go on Sunday, but anyway, I just um, I went down there one time. I went to the Denver Temple and I walked in the the foyer of the temple, and I looked in the windows, and um, there was this man sitting there, perfectly still, um, in this giant temple room. Um, the, the temple room was locked. I was just looking through the window and this man was sitting there and he was not moving. And I was, <laughs> I was completely amazed. I was like, wow, this is like a, some crazy yogi meditating. This is, um, turns out it was Prabhupada's Murti. Um, but I was absolutely convinced that it was a person. Um, so it was completely otherworldly experience. Um, Eventually, I went back to the Sunday. I started going to the Sunday feast regularly. Um, they had a restaurant, uh, Govinda's. I would go there all the time. Uh, my dad would take me there. Um, we were vegetarians. Um, and I would go to the temple all the time. Um, and I met, um, I met one devotee there who later became, um, his name is Jagananda. Um, he was Bhakta Jason and he kind of took me aside and he was like my best friend at the temple. I would go to the temple and I would do service with him. Um, and I remember he would preach to me and teach me the philosophy and he, um, I remember sitting in the car and um, listening to this lecture. He gave me this lecture of Fridananda Maharaj and Fridananda Maharaj was saying all this. Um, he was saying, and you just, you just worship this bag and this bag is full of pus and blood and stool and urine. And I was just like, I was eating all this stuff up. It was, it was great. I mean, it, it made so much sense to me. 
um, I, I don't know. It, it was, I was just right for this kind of like, it's pretty brutal, like traumatic style preaching, but <laughs> I was ready for it. Um, so, and then he also gave me, um, he gave me Agni Dave's Treasure the Holy Name on tape. And I took that home. This is one of the first times I went to the temple. I took that home and I listened to that tape every single day um, before I went to school. And when I came back from school for hours a day, um, like those melodies were just burned in my brain for about a year and a half. Um, so I was still in high school. Then um, my best friend, um, and I was, I was chanting by then, and um, I was ordering, the BBT had these um, little certificates that you could mail in to get a free book. So I would just send one in after the other, and I would get all the books. Um, and I would go to school, and I wasn't in any kind of crowd. I was like kind of introverted, and I was short, and people made fun of me. And I would like, fight back and um kind of just um it was hard um and high school was just full of cliques and you had all the popular kids and um going through high school I basically um I decided I wanted to be like a hermit um I couldn't take the the shallowness of the people um I didn't want to be in any particular group and I would just go home and chant. Um, I would go sit down by this Creek by my house and just chant and chant and chant. Um, and I would go to the temple more and I would want to be like the temple devotees. So I, of course I had to sleep on the floor. So I took the bed out of my room and I slept on the floor because <laughs> I thought that was cool. Um, I, uh, decorated my whole entire wall with like pictures from the bbt calendar um and <laughs> it's hilarious now when i think about it but um i from talking with the devotees in the temple i learned about copens and so of course i i started wearing copens while i was in high school <laughs> um because I just thought, you know, I was going to be a monk. So, um, so then one day, um, probably like in 91 or so, um, my best friend and I were, we were out riding bikes and it was a magical day. It was the, um, beautiful and nothing could go wrong. And he was spending the night at my house for a four day weekend for something for school. And we were just having the greatest time. Um, and we came up to one stoplight and he went racing across the street um, on his bike. And I was just behind him and I was looking down the street and I saw a car coming, um, you know, like 50 miles an hour. And I couldn't understand why he was going forward. He he was just completely, he had blinders on and he was going and going and going. And about 10 feet in front of me, he was hit by this car. Um, 
just head on and thrown about 50 feet. Um, he landed on the asphalt and blood started coming out of his ear. Um, and I, I immediately, as soon as, um, as soon as he was hit by the car, I just started furiously chanting. Like I couldn't, I couldn't help it. Um, I was panicked and I was chanting to him and chanting to him and, um, the ambulance came, picked him up, took him to the hospital, and I had to go tell his mother. Um, so I went and told his mother. Um, we went to the hospital, and we were in the emergency room. Um, and later that night, um, the doctor came out and told us um, he won't he won't live. His brain is swelling. Um, he's, he's not going to live. So you should say goodbye or, um, so I, um, somehow I had Bhagavad Gita with me. Um, and I just started reading the second chapter about, um, the soul cannot be cut to pieces by any weapon nor burned by fire nor withered by the wind. I was reading this verse to his mother. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't know if I should have whatever that was, that was who I was and where I was at. And, um, but it, it, it had just impacted me so much. Um, my experience with Christian consciousness and, and, and again, it was like, it was natural that I was just completely, totally attracted to the philosophy. Everything made sense. Um, and this, just incredibly traumatic experience just really kind of shot me on the path. Um, so he, he actually didn't pass away. Um, he survived. Um, he still survives. Um, and, but I, but from that moment, I basically, I, I just knew I have to, um, I have to take to this entirely i have to give my everything to this so i um shortly after i i got in an argument with my dad um and he was because i was having all these you know neophyte um realizations but realizations nonetheless <laughs> um and i got in this argument with my dad where i was telling him it was kind of one of those classic you live in my house, you follow my rules kind of thing. I can't remember what I was doing, but, um, so I was talking back to him and arguing back. I said, oh, you think this is your house? You built the nails, you know, and you created the wood. And, you know, I was referring to everything is Bhagavan's and he's the creator of, of everything. So this is in your house. You can't take it with you. <laughs> you know, so that was, too much. And basically I, I don't know if I was kicked out or I just left and I moved into the temple and my, uh, temple president who was wise for the time, um, told me you have to finish high school. Um, you can live here, but you have to finish high school. So, um, I don't remember for how long, but I used to go back and forth taking the bus from the temple till high school till high school is done 
and I graduated. Um, I met my family for graduation. I had like neck beads and a shaved head and, <laughs> um, and then immediately after I graduated, uh, my band was supposed to go on a tour. Um, I had bought a van and we were going to go on tour and I gave it to the temple, sold all my equipment, and I went traveling with Ganapati Maharaj, um, who was um, a sadhu who I had met um, when I first started coming to the temple, and he was a regular um, traveling preacher going through the Denver temple. Um, so I became a monk and went traveling with him, um, and he was um, an amazing teacher he um it was very austere um he was very he was incredibly austere he was not um he was not like sometimes you hear kind of like justification of yuktavairagya and you know he was very very austere um he did not turn on his heat in the um, we lived in a camper, basically. Um, it was small. Um, he would travel with books and he would go to colleges and do um, book tables and college preaching and home programs. So um, I would sleep outside on picnic tables at the rest areas um, in like Kansas in the winter and it's like snowing outside. And I would take showers under their little taps. <laughs> um, and we would have like one pot of kitri for like three, four days. Um, and just book distribution during the day, home programs at night, um, over and over and over and over and over. And during, well, during this time, um, he was systematically training me. Um, he was very studious. Um, he was very um, into sloka memorization. I learned tons of slokas studying under him. Um, and he was, he was, the way he trained us like in, in philosophy was, just really, really beautiful. I mean, I, I, I have it to this day. So many, um, so many things that he preached to me about, and um, but so I did that for a year or so, um, and that was that was um, it was austere and it was hard, um, and it was also excellent. Um, but after about a year, I came back to the temple um, and I just said I needed to, uh, I needed a break. Um, and when I came back to the temple, um, shortly thereafter, this was in 93, um, a devotee Lokanath Swami was visiting. Um, I don't know why he had come there. He had never come there before. Um, so I met him and he is uh, an Indian sannyasi disciple of Prabhupada. Um, and he was, 
he was kind of like, like it was, it was like falling out of all that austerity um, and sacrifice into a nice um, warm blanket of, he was very sweet and kind and um, so I was, anyway, I was very attracted to him. I, I think, um, well, and also he was, um, he was known, is well known for um, Kirtan and his um, chanting of, of Kirtan and he has a beautiful voice. And um, so I was um, very into music and Kirtan had become my like outlet um, like music was before, but this had a meaning behind all the expression um, that I used to get out of music. So um, I was very attracted to Kirtan and I became attracted to him and I wanted to be his disciple. Um, I can see that I'm taking a long time, so I'm going to try and speed up. <laughs> and I hope I'm, I'm not going too fast for a career. He, he hasn't said anything. <laughs> okay. 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 So um, over the next several years, um, 93 to 96, um, I did book distribution. Um, I struggled some with book distribution because um, I was um, oftentimes encouraged to sell the books and sell the books um, and don't necessarily talk too much about the books. It was more important to sell the books. Um, so whatever way you could sell them, it wasn't quite by hook or by crook, but that was a little bit of the, you know, just get the book out. It doesn't matter what you're going to say to people, you know, you need to get the book out. Um, and I was rebelling against that because I, I felt like, I mean, this philosophy is amazing. We want people to know this. Um, we don't want to just give them books and have them throw them away just so that we can get some money. Um, so I was conflicting with some, some of my authorities sometimes. Um, I wasn't saying the lines exactly like they wanted me to. I wasn't saying that this was, you know, Bhagavad Gita takes place on an ancient Indian battlefield, kind of like the Cherokees. <laughs> it was like, you know, I wanted to, I remember a couple of times I went out to the Denver airport in a dhoti to spite my Sankirtan leader. Um, cause I just wanted to be like, we're monks, we're Hare Krishnas, you know, this is what this book is about, you know, and if you're not attracted, fine. And, you know, some people are really attracted to that. Um, so that wasn't going over very well. Um, and I was getting involved in some management in the Denver temple, which I really did not like. Um, management is an incredibly difficult, um, service because it can compromise your relationships with devotees um, and you're you may be trying to achieve a managerial objective rather than a spiritual objective which is hard to hard to keep the two in line um, and so that was going on and also a couple times a year I would go and I would serve Lokanath Swami in different places in the U.S. Um, when he would come so, um, and then I went to India in 95 um, and I met him there, Lokanath Swami. Um, I was his servant 
And at the time there was um, the politics of the Jiva issue um, was going on and ISKCON was supposed to come up with a resolution on the problem of, of the Jiva issue and reconciling, you know, what is, what's ISKCON's official position? So I think they published a, an actual book called, oh, our original position, but that was like ISKCON's official position on the Jiva issue. And that was something that I was unsettled with and didn't make sense to me. Um, how can we leave the spiritual world and come here? Um, rebelling from Krishna didn't make sense. Um, so the GBC would have these meetings in, in India and try to resolve some of these controversial things. So um, 95 um, was the Jiva issue. And um, after the GBC meetings, they had, um, they had banned um, Satyanarayan and Kundali's book on the, on the fall of the Jiva, which was research they had done from the Sundarbas. Um, and there was a class after the GBC meetings and it was, um, I, I remember I was a newer devotee and I was very enthusiastic to serve ISKCON, but it really, it made my skin crawl because it was like a, a sports game. Um, like the crowd was freaking out that these disciples of Prabhupada should be um, excommunicated. And um, so that made me really uncomfortable. Um, and there was, over the years, there were these things that made me uncomfortable with um, being involved with ISKCON. Um, and in 96, um, I went back to India um, and I was there in my poor serving Lokanath Swami and Gorgovindamarish passed away at that time. Um, and he was there for another controversial um, time where um, I had met him before and known him and he was an, a very dynamic spiritual figure. Um, and he was kind of, um, I guess I would say the GBC was trying to rein him in. Um, some of his disciples were talking of him as kind of a successor to Prabhupada. And, um, and then all of a sudden he passed away. Um, and because I was serving Lokanath Swami, I went to see him um, immediately after he had passed away. Um, Lokanath Swami went there and I followed him. And I was in the room like minutes after Gorgovindamara had passed away. And it was super impactful experience because Gorgovindamara was sitting there in bed, sitting up and he, um, he looked like he was in Samadhi. He didn't look like he had passed away. Um, it was incredibly profound. Um, and then there was a, a festival and a kirtan and um, everything that happened that night after he passed away was just really impactful. Um, and then we went to Rindavan and I got initiated um, there at Rupa Goswami Samadhi. Um, and I didn't understand why um, I would find out later, but I was initiated in the, um, in Krishnabalar Mandir. So after being initiated, I came back to America 
and I continued serving Lokana Swami in different places. Um, and I went one time in 97, um, just after I had gotten married. Um, I went to see Lokana Swami and to do my service. And um, we were in California somewhere. And my god sister serving him, um, his secretary, um, a, a Jagadish Maharaj, who some of you may not even know who that is, but um, he had just left the movement. Um, and my god sister said to me, after what happened to Jagadish Maharaj, I hope that doesn't happen to our Guru Maharaj because of that thing that happened. And I, um, I was completely shooken up and I didn't understand what she was talking about. Um, and I asked her, um, and she said, something happened to Guru Maharaj in um, the early 90s. Um, so I was in the middle of serving him lunch. So I went in and I sat down um, at his feet and I was just tormented. But I asked him, I said, what is, what is this that um, this devotee is telling me about? Um, he asked me to grab his briefcase and out of his briefcase, um, he pulled out a piece of paper and asked me to read it. And I read it and it was an official statement by the GBC. Um, and it was, this is, this is um, difficult to talk about, but um, these are just the facts of what I experienced. Um, and um, so basically, and also inconveniently, um, he is in the social media news right now. Um, but um, I read this statement and it was basically a GBC version of something that had happened in 1990 where he was, let's just say inappropriate with a 11 um, year old girl. Um, so I was, um, but the GBC statement was a very sanitized, um, whitewashed statement um, that at the time relieved me, although my faith was very disturbed by even hearing anything about this. Um, from what I read the GBC statement, I was completely relieved because it was no big deal and I could go in my mind for the next um, couple of years, um, trying to say that it's okay, it's okay, you know, nothing happened, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but at the time I immediately said to him, um, I said, this is gonna be really, really hard for my wife, um, who we had just been married because she's a guru coolie and she grew up in ISKCON and, um, if any of you know or are um, second generation, like um, children of devotees, they've experienced a lot of horrible things um, in the framework of the growing of the Krishna consciousness movement. Um, so I said, this is gonna be really hard for her um, to hear this. Um, so I left, I went back to Denver, um, 
I continued with my service. Um, I would continue to meet him, but doubts were coming up and they continued coming up. Um, and then there was um, some, this was kind of around the time of the internet was new and there were devotee websites um, and there was problems with Ritvix and Ritvix were preaching and they would sensationalize all kinds of things. And Lokanaswami's story was coming up and I was getting different versions of what happened than from what I had read. Um, so I was trying to craft like a message to um, disciples in, in cooperation with like the GBC and senior disciples of his. And um, I was trying to advocate that um, these people should be informed before they take initiation because I wasn't. Um, because if they're informed after, you know, by some false story, what I thought was a false story, um, their faith will be disturbed. And as I have come to know, um, really faith is the deity um, and management is, is, is not, um, you shouldn't manage faith. So, um, as I was contacting like um, the GBC member, my GBC and Lokanaswami and disciples of his um, trying to craft some type of message, um, eventually my GBC um, because of our relationship um, and he trusted me as a sincere person, he let me on to much more information and it was much worse um, than I had been told by the GBC. And um, it was, this incident was covered up and um, many more things had happened. And um, so this was kind of the beginning of my falling out of any type of faith. Um, in ISKCON and ISKCON management in, in my ISKCON guru. Um, and I was taking shiksha from um, Kormarupa Prabhu, um, who was a, I, I would say an authentic um, cowherd um, who lived in Vrindavan. He was a brahmachari um, and I had known him for a few years and he had come to Denver preaching. Um, and he was, um, he was basically in his own words, he was not an, an institutional man. Um, and he had introduced me also to Kundali. Um, and so in 98, I went to Vrindavan um, and I was completely distraught um, with my relationship with um, ISKCON leadership and specifically my ISKCON guru. And I felt like kind of all my nightmares of um, being cheated were coming true and not being told the truth um, and cover-ups and politics and all of that. Um, I had no taste for it and I had no patience for it and I was becoming fed up. Um, 
So um, Lokanath Swami came um, sometime during then. Um, my wife and I went to Puri kind of on pilgrimage by ourselves, um, just completely separate from anything related to like an ISKCON focused thing. We just went by ourselves and took a um, tour book and we visited holy places and had um, amazing experiences. And I came back and um, Lokanaswami had done another initiation um, and those, those disciples did not know anything about this. And I knew the culture of the leadership was not going forward with explaining anything about it. So um, he asked where I was and I went to see him. And basically um, I told him I can't get over this um, and that um, this incident is too difficult for me to just move past because of how it was dealt with. Um, and that I was losing my faith and um, and at one point he said to me, um, in our culture, we don't we don't talk about these things in our culture. And I I, I said that's exactly the problem. And basically that was um, the end of our relationship. Um, and then over the next couple of years, um, he had tried to contact me a couple of times to have me come out and I just said I couldn't do it um, because of all this. And in 99, um, we moved out of the temple and I was basically just done with, um, with all of this and um, with kind of the politics and the institutional dynamics that I had experienced. And, um, we actually moved to Kansas, um, and we lived with um, Indranuja and Lalita Saki, who um, I had previously met um, traveling with Ganapati Maharaj. And I have all these um, meetings with devotees currently um, that are in our Sangha that I've known, like Archana City and like Indra and Saki that I've known for 20 plus years and it's just amazing how we've all kind of come back together in the same circle, circle of friends. Um, so we lived with them um, and they were great because um, they were my first experience of what I still to this day call normal devotees. Um, they were real people living real lives, having jobs. Um, they weren't um, fanatical. They were practicing Krishna consciousness as they were called to living a household life out in the middle of Kansas. Um, so we loved them and got a lot of, uh, out of their association. Um, and then we moved to. North Carolina in 2000 um, to be close to my in-laws, Apoorva and Kamalini. And um, somewhere around the time where I was having all these um, faith crises, I came across Guru Marge's, um Sangha newsletter email 
newsletter. Um, and I was just enamored um, and amazed by the way every controversial issue that I had dealt with, that I had thought about, people would just write him these questions. And whereas in ISKCON, it was, um, it was my experience that, you know, I was told not to read books by authority, you know, people outside of ISKCON. I couldn't read the Jiva issue book. I couldn't read books by Satya Narayan or people outside of ISKCON. Um, but with Gurmaraj in his newsletter, it seemed like all those people that had all those questions and were unsatisfied would write him questions about the, you know, women's issues and the Jiva issue and philosophical dilemmas and um, Rasatattva and Raganuga Bhakti, all of which were like things you couldn't speak about, you couldn't talk about um, in ISKCON. Um, and he just, he, he took on one after another and just answered them over and over and over. Um, so I was very attracted to his, um, his teaching. Oh, and then, sorry, one other thing I got, I forgot. Um, so when I was on book distribution in probably like 94 or 95, I, um, for some reason, I have no idea why, um, my Sankirtan leader decided to drive us up to Eugene, Oregon to meet the incarnation of book distribution, um, His Holiness Tripurari Marsh. And I was kind of like really confused. Why would we do that? I mean, he's, he's not an ISKCON. Um, that made no sense to me, but I mean, this, this devotee was like the biggest book distributor on the planet, um, my Sankirtan leader at the time. <laughs> And so I was like, okay, I'll just, you know, I'm just going along for the ride. Um, so we went to the Eugene temple and, you know, I was conditioned in such a way that um, I couldn't appreciate it, but it definitely made an impact on me. That was the first time I had met him. Um, and I remember going through the temple and there were pictures of, Srila Sridhar Maharaj and um, Srila Prabhupada on the wall. And I remember thinking that, not that um, it was just a design choice or anything, but I remember thinking that the picture of Srila Sridhar Maharaj was higher than the picture of Srila Prabhupada. So that definitely meant something that, you know, Prabhupada wasn't as valuable or, um, and then, um, Agni Day was leading Kirtan, and I was I was looking at um, Clarion Call magazine, um, and Agni was leading Kirtan, and that's this was like oh that's that tape I had had so many years ago, and um, I was just completely enthralled by Agni Dave. Um, so that was another kind of experience that came to be later on. Um, after I had kind of gone through all this um, stripping away of kind of like institutional ideas and um, um, kind of like I, I, I feel like I was 
coming out of a managed um, faith process. Um, so then in 2003 or four, um, City and Karnamrita moved to Prabhupada Village. And um, I had been reading some of Guru Maharaj's um, writings and been attracted to him, but I, I didn't pursue anything. And I was, um, I had just started going to college and um, we had had two kids, um, but I was kind of going on with my life, worshiping the deities. Um, and I had, I had so much faith in um, this path, but I, I had no guru figure. And if you, um, obviously you, you can't practice Krishna consciousness without a guru figure, it's impossible. Um, so it was very empty. Um, I was trying to serve the deities and, um, but I had no faith in a, in a spiritual teacher. Um, so then out of the blue, Archana City and Karnamrita um, are hosting Guru Maharaj at their house and we are told about it. And I immediately wanted to go because um, I had read some of his stuff and I just, I, I didn't care about whether it was, um, whether you were allowed to or not or, um, so I went to see him, um, Gorungi and I went to see him and it was from that moment, it was completely, um, amazing. I knew that, that this was like, like I was saying before this uncovering of this, this is exactly where I'm supposed to be. This is what all, everything I've gone through, um, this is exactly what this is, has been meant for. Um, and it was, I had this very strong impression that Guru Maharaj knew um, I was supposed to be there with him, that we were supposed to be there with him. He was, he was like, I had never met anybody who was that like confident. And you know how sometimes Guru Maharaj says, um, he quotes Prabhupada saying, I came to your country as an aggressor. I feel like, like that first meeting where I met Guru Maharaj, he just, he was almost aggressive in his like, um, he, he met us after like, I, I went and saw him afterwards, um, Priya and I, and we took our kids and it was just automatic. He was, um, he was like, so you've been inspired. And um, <laughs> I mean, we were, but it was just like, well, he's, he's speaking for me. Like, I don't even have to say anything. And he's just, you know, telling me my experience and it's true. And um, I was just like entirely hooked immediately. Um, and here we are and it's 1235. Um, so I don't know if I should keep going or 
That was a long. You're, I can't hear you, Archana. You have to mute original audio and select English. <laughs> I can't hear you. There, there you are. Can you hear me now? Yes. Okay, yeah, I don't know what, what happened. Um, I'm thinking just because I know Akura last week, he had to leave at quarter of one. I don't know if that's the situation again this week. So um, that would mean that the Spanish devotees wouldn't be able to get the the rest of it. So I think I think you told the story beautifully. And um, maybe just to sum it up, like, in a little nutshell, what gifts and what transformations have you seen in yourself through all of this? And then we can take some questions. Um. Transformations, um, I guess I would say my experience for those, those 10 years or so um, were just a, um, like a trial by fire, uh, purification of, um, you know, constantly making me um, seek out what is the essence of this, of this process. Because from the very beginning, I was, I was attracted by the philosophy and I was attracted by um, the idea of offering your devotion, your emotion, um, to God. Um, and then kind of the package that, that all of that came in, uh, that was kind of the, the beginning, what just completely solidified my, um, desire. Like this just made all the sense in the world to me. And, and I had some, some taste and some experience. And then going through those trials that tested all that um i would always lean back on um on the philosophy and um i would be you know in in spiritual suffering but it wasn't like i had any other shelter i was calling out in 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 bhajan and kirtan um you know because all I wanted was Krishna consciousness, but then, um, so I just, I would have to consistently put aside of this is, this is an anarta, um, you know, this kind of, I, I guess also developing um, a discriminating um, mindset 
rather than a um, rather than a blind following or a um, you know in a way a, a kanishta very um, you know I just want like at first I I feel like I felt, oh, I have all the answers. This is it. Great. You know, now I just have to do what these people tell me. Um, and I'm set because this is the most amazing thing ever. And then when, you know, I was betrayed by some of those people at times or, um, or I was betrayed by my own lack of, um, of discrimination, um, I would have to fall back on the teaching. I would have to fall back on association with sadhus, um, you know, who were who were actually um, committed to the shastra and the philosophy. Um, and I would take their advice. Um, and so, I, I mean, that was all. A, 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 I mean, I I can't. I can't express how incredibly painful to have like that type of faith um, be just completely destroyed because <laughs> the faith in the guru is like, um, you know, it's so pivotal. Um, so when that was going through that whole thing was just so difficult, but I knew I couldn't go anywhere else. I didn't have any, I didn't have um, any faith in any other process or, um, you know, just life in the material world or another spiritual path. Nothing, nothing did the same thing for me, but I, I needed a guru figure. Um, so I feel like all of that was a, a purification process to to help me understand what is essential in this um, in this teaching, um, and it all—I mean—it all culminated in taking me to um, Guru Maharaj, where I mean, the gifts—the gifts, I would say—I—I um, I have uncountable gifts from all the time I've been able to spend with Guru Maharaj. Um, Literally, he um, he handed me my Easter Dave um, in um, two thousand eight. Um, I was and I was always attracted to um, Sakyaras um, pastimes of Krishna. Um, I was incredibly attracted to how he spoke about um, Prabhupada in Sakyarasa. Um, because that was, there was some inclination that I had, there was something that I knew about that. Um, I, I remember um, when I, the very first time I went traveling um, with Gandhapati Maharaj, I went to Chicago um, and there was a devotee there who is, um, his name was Mahamantra Das and he is now a sannyasi, but um, he is a Sakurasa Bhakta. 
Um, and it was unheard of at the time, but I have this vivid memory of, of sitting with him in the ISKCON temple um, in Chicago and him telling me that Prabhupada's song on the Jaladuta is saying how Prabhupada is in Sakiras um, and how he's speaking to Krishna. These are things that Srila Sridhar Maharaj said. I don't, I don't know where he, um, where he got that, but it, it made perfect sense to me. Um, but that's not what I had heard um, in ISKCON. Um, it was that Prabhupada was preaching to the conditioned souls. So things like this, you know, when I, when I met Guru Maharaj, it just all laid out like this is obvious. Um, and um, I mean, Guru Maharaj gave me so much of his, of his time. Um, every time he speaks, um, even if I've heard it a hundred times, I, it, it just, it's, I'm like, this is perfect. This is exactly, it's just tailor-made for me. This is where I'm supposed to be. Um, so I just feel like the gifts are, um, what to speak of the deities um, that he's given me. Um, it, it, there's so many insights that he's given me, so many um, personal instructions. It, it's that I'll just, I, I, I mean, I, I have forever, I think of every day. So it's been quite, quite a process for you. First stripping your whole life in this, this, this lifetime of stripping away material attachments and, and then coming to a spiritual path and having to strip away the, the non-essential, the, um, yeah, the upadis that can be present even in a spiritual organization and stripping all that away to come to a place where you're, you really feel like you're home and, and nurtured by the association of both guru and, and devotees. And so it's really beautiful. So um, I think maybe I don't, Akura, do you have to leave now? Oh, you still have a little bit of time. So maybe we could go a few more minutes, just take, if there are questions, because I think that's really important to, to field any questions anyone might have. Yeah, and um, sorry for speaking fast. And it's, I, I, I feel like these are kind of like giant family therapy sessions and um, I don't think you spoke and, too fast. And I want to, I, I really want to thank um, you, Arch in the City, um, for doing these. I think they're really wonderful. Um, I also, I, I always wanted to say, I think I heard from Padmanabha Maharaj that Sakurati, that you were doing, um, publishing all the, all the talks. And I really, really appreciate that. And I always wanted to say that because um, now that, since Padmanabharaj started all these series there on um, all the podcast platforms and on YouTube. And basically I don't have to be on Facebook to, 
to to get these and i think that's a really valuable um thing and i think that I, and i know it's not easy to do all that stuff so i really appreciate that next week Sakiraki will be oh cool an interview so that's, great yeah looking forward to that so are there any questions maybe there's maybe there aren't i mean madam yes please mm -hmm. please Um, he was banned, you know, banned from initiating, um, this, this has happened many, many times with many devotees. Um, it's this problem of, um, managed spiritual life, but, um, basically like, um, the gurus are, are under the GBC um, and um, but but basically he was he was restricted from initiating disciples. Um, so although I was told that um, there was going to be a hundred disciples initiated because it was the centennial year and they were doing things in 100 numbers. <laughs> um, so I was going to be one of 100 disciples initiated. Um, so that's why I had waited three years to get initiated. Um, but that was not the case. There was this other reason in the background. Um, and that, that, that stuff just really made me sick. Um, it was um, just untruthful. And I just didn't. Um, I, I, I could not um, accept that. And, and that was also why I was trying to have a message out to other people. Um, and unfortunately, I, I don't, I really don't like to talk about this, um, but just I'm talking about it just because it was my part of the reality of what I went through. Um, and now it's, now it's in the news again on social media because it was still never um, properly dealt with. So as I was suggesting then, it, it's coming up again and again and again and again. And um, yeah. Um, I heard that my, I read something that my daughter wanted to ask a question. Oh, <laughs> which one? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I'll answer that in a minute, but any other? Um... Anybody else have a question? You would have to unmute yourselves. I don't know if. Starvey has a question. There's, there's no, um, it's in the chat, something. Oh, okay. Someone has their hand up. I can't, I can't tell. Oh, there is a hand out here. Yeah. I don't know if that means somebody has a question. 
Hare Krishna, reverencias. Perdón, esto es mi bebé. A mí me gustaría hacer una pregunta, Prabhu. Can't hear favor. you. Yeah, he would have maybe to. It's going to. Maybe it's going to your career. Okay. 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 Gracias al traductor también. Muchas gracias, Prabhu. Eh, honestamente, hace muy poco empecé a leer eh, literatura de Bhakti Sridhar Maharaj y me sorprendió que Prabhupada tenía muchísimo respeto hacia él, más allá de que muchas veces he recibido la instrucción de, de no leer nada eh, fuera de, de ISCON. Y mi pregunta es, eh, ¿por qué se lo pone a Bhakti Sridhar Maharaj en, en ese mismo lugar eh, de, los, de todos los hermanos espirituales de Prabhupada? ¿Por qué no se nos indica que Prabhupada tenía mucho respeto hacia él y que era su Shiksha Guru también? Me gustaría eh, una respuesta hacia eso. Um, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think of how to, I, I can't tell you a good reason. Um, I had the same experience of, um, when I came in touch with Gurmarish, um, reading about Srila Sridhar Maharaj's relationship with Srila Prabhupada, um, reading some of Srila Sridhar Maharaj's teachings. Um, and I mean, Guru Maharaj's experience was the same. He, um, he talks about how it was obvious to him that this was the solution um, to everything that had gone on after the disappearance of Prabhupada. Um, that here was a, a substantial spiritual figure who didn't say the exact same thing as Srila Prabhupada, but the same spirit was there and, and more. Um, and um, the, only, the only reason I could say that um, why the information is, is managed in that way um, is again, it's, it's um, a management of faith. It's trying to protect, um, trying to protect an institutional way of um, presenting Krishna consciousness um, rather than, um, basically it's, it's safe. Um, when people become inspired, um, you know, that's unpredictable. That's, that's not manageable. That's, um, and that's not, that's not bad. <laughs> that's a good thing. People should be inspired. They should be, um, you know, we get into Christian consciousness and, and our well-wishers want us to, our genuine well-wishers would like us to attain everything that is possible for us. That's, that's a true well-wisher's only agenda. Um, but um, when that agenda goes against um, 
keeping people in your temples, in your organization, doing things the way that you say they should be done. Um, I understand there's a deference to um, Srila Prabhupada and um, the way he did the way he did things. Um, but there's not there's not a like I was saying about myself, like you cannot you cannot progress in spiritual life without the guidance of a guru. So when Prabhupada passes away and Iskhan has to go on. There has to be some dynamic spiritual leadership to explain things to people, to take away the fear that you're doing something different. That doesn't mean it's, you know, that may be your progress calling because it, this is a dynamic ongoing process. But when it stops at one point in time and you can't hear from anybody else and um, for fear of, of, gurus becoming dynamic spiritual figures themselves or um, devotees leaving to pursue another spiritual leader um, because because we all want that we all want progress we want more we want to um, move forward in our endeavors to um, serve Krishna to have more realizations um, so when you kind of box everyone up um, and say, you can't read these books and, um, you know, you can only consult with people who are faithful to Prabhupada and we're saying what is faithful to Prabhupada. That's, um, that, that's the end of, of progressive spiritual life. I mean, it, it can't, you can't go on from that. And I mean, there is, there's plenty of information um, for people who, who can hear it, who have been given the freedom to hear it um, or who trust themselves to hear it, that Srila Prabhupada had an incredible relationship with Srila Sridhar Maharaj and who Srila Sridhar Maharaj is, um, is in no way and was never in any way um, an enemy to Prabhupada's disciples or future generations um, of, of devotees. Um, he, he is a, a, an amazing Acharya that we should all um, be so lucky to have some association with. Um, and I, like I said, I don't, I don't, I don't have a good reason. <laughs> I only have bad reasons. There's, there's no, there's no good reason for doing that. That was really comprehensive answer. Um, can you hear me? Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you for the question. So I think um, our time is up. Um, we went a little over, but I think it was well worth it. Um, so next week, as I said, Sakirati will be um, our interviewee. Um, and we really look forward to having her on.
Thank you, Manan Gopal, so much. I, I think, you know, I mean, I've heard your story before, but just hearing it again and all your realizations was power, very powerful for me also, because I mean, I also had to, you know, leave my, my material situation. And then at some point, my, my spiritual family that in, in ISKCON, um, I had to um, move away from that, although I haven't completely moved away from it, but I, I had to cut a lot of ties and, and how that was in some ways harder than even cutting the material family and friends and from the beginning. So I really appreciated all, all your insights and thank all of the devotees for joining us. Um, the series wouldn't be going on without your participation. Um, thank you again. Um, we'll see everybody Jai. soon. <laughs> Hare Krishna. Jai. Hare Rao. Jai. Hare Rao.